You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. podcast first of all thank you so much for listening it means a lot been doing this for 11 plus years and the independent pharmacy owner in the community specialty long-term care sector of our healthcare industry are so important you really feel pushed right now pushed by the pbms there are pharmacies that have closed this network takes a look at things that come out that could benefit the private pharmacy owner and provide you with additional benefits to your patients and to you. And there's a product called the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. We heard about this product. We researched it. They have become a sponsor. We very much appreciate them. And you can do right with your patients while still making a higher profit on these products the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container all in one. With the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, you're doing more for your patients and more for your pharmacy. You'll see consistently higher revenue and higher margins through this product. Take a look. UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. Go to UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. Research it and let us know what you think. And thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Hello and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Cal Vandergrift. I'm Shane Gerritsen. And I'm Kelly Brown. And today we're talking about the hit TV thriller, Hannibal. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. got a very special guest. Kelly Brown, a third-year pharmacy student, is here with us today. We are really excited that you're here. You actually introduced me to Hannibal, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned it to me. You suggested it because we got on the conversation of our favorite television shows, Hannibal being one of yours. Yes. Awesome. So tell us what drew you to Hannibal. So I watched the movies whenever I was younger, Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs and everything. So I think I was browsing i think it was hulu and i saw it and i was like heck yes sign me up (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty good mads mickelson is like i think he rivals anthony hopkins personally wow really yeah yeah he's he's excellent that's a bold statement remember him from dr strange i don't watch a lot of (laughs) i know i know you don't watch (laughs) marvel no i don't okay yeah he's in that um he's the bad guy i don't know his name so Hannibal, like we said, is a psychological thriller TV series based on the works of Thomas Harris. He's the author of The Silence of the Lambs, Red, uh, Red Dragon, um, Hannibal Rising, all that jazz. 
Uh, specifically, Hannibal is based on Red Dragon, featuring FBI Special Agent Will Graham, and of course the titular Dr. Hannibal Lecter. The series is really, really good, and for the most part follows the interactions between Hannibal Lecter and the FBI in the continued pursuit of the Chesapeake Ripper, a mysterious serial killer whose methods seemingly change over time. We're about halfway through season two, so it, it goes on to season three. You finished the series, we haven't finished it quite yet, but there's one particular episode that I want to talk about. Pretty exciting stuff. This particular episode features an interesting character and a dynamic, and we're going to discuss that in a few moments, but first, I'd like to paint a picture. Three boys are hiking in the woods near Baltimore, Maryland, my hometown. Their adventure takes a turn when they discover what appears to be a small, mysterious garden in the woods, an overgrowth of mushrooms intermingled with the ferns and foliage of the forest. What is that? One of the boys, attempting to be hip and funny, says, I bet it's marijuana. They notice a series of tubes suspended from trees, and upon closer inspection of the mushrooms, it turns out the tubes are actually IV lines attached to a series of hands protruding from the ground tied to rebar. That's not marijuana. Yikes. Pretty freaky stuff. Do you remember this episode? Yes, I do. That was a good one. The authorities are notified, and an investigation begins. The FBI arrives with Will Graham in tow, and in all, nine bodies are uncovered. Okay, we got nine bodies, various stages of decay, and as you can see, all very well fertilized. The fungus and mushrooms consuming the bodies aren't just a natural result of the decomposition process. They've been fed intentionally to promote their growth. The IV lines were pumping a sugar solution into the veins of the victims, who were kept alive by a crude oxygen system until they slowly died. The rich sugar in their blood served a delicious fertilizer for the fungus, which grew rapidly. So begins the investigation to determine what these nine bodies have in common, in the hopes to find their killer, now known as the Farmer. That's not a very creative name. No, it's not very ominous, no. It's not, nothing Ripper. Or not anything. like the Chesapeake Ripper, no. It's the farmer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is determined in autopsy that the bodies are soaked in a perfect liquid fertilizer to support fungal life, consisting of shredded newspaper, hardwoods, and pig excrement. The cause of death of all of the victims is determined to be kidney failure. Will Graham then makes the dubious jump that perhaps the victims all died of diabetic ketoacidosis. Perhaps a change in medication is inducing a coma which then permits the victim to be abducted and buried alive in the intricate fungal garden. What kind of medical professional has the power to do this, to change somebody's medication? Doctor and or pharmacist. And or pharmacist, right, yeah. So, okay, right, it's a pharmacist. Cut to Previlex Pharmacy Chain, workplace of floater pharmacist and mushroom enthusiast Eldon Stamets. Oh, this guy, yeah. Yeah. You're in the end, you did it. He did it, it was him, it was. What's his so, name, Eldon? Eldon Stamets. Oh, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> I think anybody named Eldon you should yeah. trust. No. He picks out a victim who casually mentions that she is divorced and single. Picking up a prescription for Gretchen Speck. Gretchen Speck. Horowitz. Oh, it's just Speck. We're divorced. I lost the hyphen, kept the ring. When retrieving her insulin from the fridge, he secretly swaps out the patient's long-acting insulin for rapid-acting insulin. Oh. Insulin. Yes. You can easily tell which one's which because they say in giant bold letters on the vial, rapid-acting insulin. And the, they both say, like, rapid or long-acting in, like, massive letters on the on the bottle. So they can't use brand names like Humalog or Arlantis because those would be meaningless to the regular viewer anyway. That's beside the point. The FBI, hot on Stamets' tail, have put together that all of the victims fill prescriptions at the same pharmacy chain and all at locations that this particular floater pharmacist, good old Eldon Stamets, works. 
they realize that Stamets has flown the coop, having been tipped off unintentionally by an unscrupulous tabloid journalist. And upon inspection of the vehicle in the parking lot... Special Agent Jack Crawford, which one of you is Eldon Stamets? Well, Eldon was just here. Just now. Is his car still in the parking lot? His car! They discover what would have been Eldon's tenth victim in the trunk, completely covered in topsoil and definitely ruining Eldon's gas mileage. The FBI eventually catches up with Stamets when he is trying to kidnap one of Will Graham's friends from the hospital. This episode goes off the rail a little bit. Then Stamets, shot in the shoulder by Will, delivers a bizarre monologue professing his love for fungus. We all evolved from mycelium. I'm simply reintroducing her to the concept. By burying her alive? If you walk through a field of mycelium, they know you are there. They know you are there. The spores reach for you as you walk by. You should have let me plant her. You would have found her in a field where she was finally able to reach back. <laughs> yeah. He's a weirdo. Who has an obsession with fungus? I mean, mushrooms are pretty cool. They're all right. I'd like to grow some, like, cool mushrooms to eat, and, you know. To... Really? Yeah, you know, like... Are you going to fertilize with... them with human corpses? No, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm, I think I might change my name to Eldon. I was just... That feeling. Eldon Vandergriff. That's got a nice ring yeah, to it. I think it does. So we've got the synopsis of the episode. Lots of twists and turns. Hallmark of a great thriller. Before we break it down, do you have any initial thoughts? So first of all, props to Will Graham for figuring out that this floater pharmacist, if you guys don't know what a floater pharmacist is, they go from one pharmacy to the other. They're pretty much, I guess, floating around. The fact that he brought it down to one chain and not one specific store to me was really impressive. And I'm also very surprised that the patients didn't notice because like you said, it's in big, bold letters, whether it's long acting or short acting. I feel like that's a little bit of a hole in the plot, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it still makes for a good show. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the method, the overall method of abduction by floater pharmacist Eldon Stamets. His goal is to induce a diabetic coma through ketoacidosis. Can you tell me what type of diabetic patients types 1 or 2 are more prone to ketoacidosis? Type 1. Yeah, exactly. So it's type 1 or insulin-dependent diabetes. In fact, many cases of ketoacidosis are the earliest sign that type 1 diabetes has even developed. It's a, That's often how they determine that somebody has type 1 diabetes is because they present with diabetic ketoacidosis. It's a complication of diabetes caused by the release of free fatty acids in the absence of insulin from adipose tissue, which are then converted in the liver into ketone bodies through beta oxidation. Remember this from IPS? Oh yeah. Lots of fun stuff. I should have written this episode last semester before we took the final. It would have been really helpful. The reason those fatty acids are present in the first place is because insulin functions to inhibit this process, lipolysis in the adipose tissue or fat cells. And in the absence of insulin, what's going to happen? Breakdown of fats. Yeah, lipolysis is going to continue, among a lot of other things that are going to go wrong. The reason that uh, DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, typically happens in type 1 and not in type 2 diabetes it's because of the key difference between the two. Like we mentioned in the history of diabetes episode, type 1 is the absence of insulin characterized by the destruction of the beta cells. Type 2 is characterized by insulin resistance and a slow shutdown of the beta cells if the condition goes without treatment. In cases of extreme diabetic ketoacidosis, a patient can fall into a coma if the blood pH falls below 7. The most common causes of DKA are 1. Poor adherence to medication, missed doses of insulin, miscalculations, etc. 2nd Infections and 3rd Newly onset diabetes like we mentioned. Eldon Stamets' plan here is to create a diabetic coma by switching the patient's medication from long-acting insulin to rapid-acting insulin. Theoretically, I think this could work. Long-acting insulin provides a stable amount of insulin throughout the day, covering a diabetic patient's needs for insulin production when they have none. 
rapid-acting insulin is administered at mealtime in what's called a bolus dose to compensate for the increased levels of glucose after a meal. The thing about it is, if you're a pharmacist, though, is that the number one thing that you think of when you think of, how am I going to get this person in a coma? Oh, I'm just going to switch their insulin around. That's a good point. Yeah, there's probably probably other ways I mean, to... I don't know much, but I think if you give someone, you know... Eight pills of Lunesta, they might they might just fall into a coma or a very deep sleep. How are you going to slip in eight pills of Lunesta? I, I guess this is the best option if you're looking at an outpatient setting. Maybe if you're inpatient, you could be a little more nefarious, I guess. If they're already kidnapped, though, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he's already done the deed. Oh, no, he kidnaps them after. He kidnaps them once the diabetic coma oh, has been induced at their home. Yeah, and then he goes into their home? Yeah, because he knows where they live. Yeah, he makes sure that the address is correct before they pick up their mm-hmm. medication. He checks the label. Wow. Who knew that that's what pharmacists were doing that for? Yeah. Checking the address first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never know. So the rapid-acting insulin, the peak of the activity is a lot higher for rapid-acting insulin, which makes sense if the intention is to balance the amount of glucose from the meal you just ate. Long-acting insulin has little to no peak and lasts up to 24 hours. Rapid-acting insulin peaks at about an hour and a half and is cleared in about six hours. Theoretically, if the patient were to accidentally take rapid-acting insulin instead of long-acting insulin, after the rapid-acting insulin effects fade, I do think it's entirely possible for them to fall into a diabetic coma. It is supposedly when the patient falls into this coma that Eldon Stamets, who knows where they live because he has access to that information at the pharmacy, then kidnaps them and then he drives them out to the woods of Baltimore where he buries them alive in his mushroom farm. This is sort of off topic, but do you guys know like how many bodies have been discovered in what's called Leakin Park in Baltimore, right near where I used to live? No. It's like five minutes from my old house. 79 bodies have been discovered there in its history. What? Wow. Do you know what time span? I'm oh, around? since the late 1800s. Wow. One was discovered while we lived there. Is that where, is that where uh, Edgar Allan Poe was found? He was on the streets of Baltimore, just not not the park. No, no, he was like downtown. He wasn't just chilling in yeah, the park. under a street lamp. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> here's where this method is problematic. Type one diabetics don't typically use just one form of insulin. More often, they use two, both a long-acting and a rapid-acting insulin. The long-acting forms their baseline or basal insulin, and the rapid they use for mealtimes because that's exactly what the pancreas is supposed to do. Most type one diabetics are well versed in their diabetic regimens especially as adults, because by that time, it's likely they've been managing their diabetes for years, their whole lives. The onset of type 1 diabetes typically occurs by age 14. There's actually peaks between 4 and 7, and then again between 10 and 14 for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't look into that. I should have because I was interested by it. For most of these patients, that's at least 10 years of experience with their insulin. That said, the only thing the pharmacist does is put the wrong vial in the bag, a vial clearly labeled with the words rapid-acting insulin in giant, huge font. I have actually at work fielded calls from patients with insulin saying that they have received the wrong vial. It happened in real life inadvertently. One particular call said she had one bottle wrong out of 14. It's an ongoing problem in pharmacies that manufacturers make their bottles look really similar. We talked about this before. We talked about with Mickey and Mickey got upset with me about it. If you get one, say you get two rapid doses instead of one long and one rapid, yeah, it's going to throw you off a little bit, but is it going to kill you the first time? Like, will it throw them into immediate DKA state, or will it take some time to do that? Because it seems like one one episode of that right. may not immediately throw you into DKA. I think a missed dose, especially for a type 1 diabetic, could definitely induce DKA. Yeah, That's the most common dose. cause. I think well, one dose, yeah, could definitely. Like one mealtime dose, say they got two 
How about the other one? What if they got two long-acting insulins? Like instead of a rapid acting? Which one would be worse? Two rapids or two longs? I think the worst thing would be to miss a dose. That would be the, like, definite worst thing. But they would, like, ideally, I mean, if you're Eldon or whoever, you know, the killer is, if you're, they're not going to miss a dose, they're just going to take the wrong insulin. Yeah, exactly. So the question is, would two long-acting insulins be worse than two rapid-acting insulins? Hmm. What do you think? I think it would depend on timing. I'm not sure, though. Yeah. Because if they took their long-acting insulin right as they woke up, and then right before breakfast they got another dose of long-acting insulin because they thought it was their mealtime, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, then you'd probably be going into hypo instead of yeah. hyper. Yeah. So which one's worse? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They both can cause a coma, so... Either way, Eldon's going to get you. Yeah, he'll get you, no matter what. Fungus guy. As soon as they fall asleep. Okay. And now, a word from our sponsor. So we're constantly, like, because these manufacturer bottles look so similar, we're constantly finding drugs in the wrong place. And that does extend to insulin as well. Like the the Novolin vials, like Novolin N and Novolin R or whatever, they look almost exactly the same. It's really annoying. Some of them have, like, that, like, nice little orange stripe on them, but it's not always enough to differentiate them. That's why you have to scan every box. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Scan them all. So I'd say that folks with type 1 diabetes are probably the most responsible and diligent with their medication, because if they miss a dose of their medication, it could be really dangerous. The other problem with this method, yes, there's a few more issues with this episode. Slipping into a diabetic coma isn't like popping a melatonin gummy and just taking a snooze. It's really unpleasant. The symptoms of DKA start out mild, excessive thirst, frequent urination, much like the symptoms of uncontrolled diabetes. They then progress into nausea and vomiting, stomach pain, confusion, shortness of breath, and severe weakness and fatigue. Most patients, when experiencing severe symptoms like this, very quickly know that something is wrong. If you just suddenly start vomiting and you're a type 1 diabetic, you're going to be like, hey, I think there's something wrong with my medication. On top of that, they, they probably experienced one or two DKA states at some point before. Or something close to it, yeah. especially a type 1, yeah, because that's probably how they determine that they have yeah. type 1 diabetes is DKA. They probably figured it out one, but they mm-hmm. know what they were experiencing. Actually. Yeah, very likely, yeah. If a patient's feeling off, the first thing they're going to do is... Check their blood sugar. Check their blood sugar, yes. That's the very first thing they're going to do. And then they're going to notice, oh my gosh, my blood sugar is through the roof. I better take a look at my insulin and see what's going on. Maybe it's expired. Maybe I got the wrong vial. If everything looks okay, I'll take another dose. Eldon's plan's not looking too good. It's, It's pretty shoddy. There's a lot of holes in this plan. Ultimately, the theory would work in in practice. It's highly unlikely to actually produce the desired effect of a nice sleeping beauty coma. But I, I think it's a good idea for a for a TV series. I think it works for the the in this in this world that they inhabit. I think that the kidnapping itself has more holes in the plot than once he gets them underground and puts the dextrose solution into them because then they're gonna stay comatose because they can't do anything about it. But I think that the kidnapping is where I have the issue where like, they're probably going to seek help before he gets a chance to put him in his trunk. Right. See, I missed that. So they, as soon as he got him and he, they were in the coma, he gave them more dextrose. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what the, when the kids, they found the IV tubes, like, okay, pumping so dextrose into them. Okay. Yeah, it was pumping more sugar to feed the mushrooms. Just, it's all about the mushrooms. Yeah, he, like, really loves mushrooms. Did he look weird? Was the actor a weird guy? Like, a weird He was guy? really hot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he looked like a normal pharmacist. You can't yeah. make a... No- oh, ooh. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> no, I don't know. 
You just like trashed all of our listeners. I'm sorry. I mean, no, I was, you know, make him look like a normal pharmacist. I don't think a normal pharmacist I'd go up to and be like, hey, I'm growing mushrooms out of people, so <laughs> I don't know. He was very unsuspecting, I would say. Wow. Yeah. See, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting if he was called the farmer, you know, he's not going to be some young pharmacist fresh out of pharmacy school. It's going to be some old guy. Yeah, he was a little older. He had, like, mushrooms growing in his basement. He's like, I can do this with people. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the other errors in the episode. There are things that I thought were actually wrong. So the insulin vials, while both labeled rapid and long acting in really big font, in tiny font below that, you had to pause it to, to read it. They both said insulin aspart, which is just stupid. Like poor, poor prop making. They were also labeled as 20 milliliter vials, which is really uncommon as far as I know. They're usually 10. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of 20 ml insulin vials. I can't think of any. Maybe that high dose humulin, is that in a 20 ml vial? Ooh, I'm not sure. You know which humulin I'm talking about though, right? It's a humulin 500, I think. Yeah. It's like, that might be The one that the error message pops up and it's like, hey, make sure. Yeah, be careful with this one because it's five times the concentration. So that just got me thinking too. How do you get prop insulin? And how, like, why would it even have insulin aspart? Do you think there's an actual bottle of insulin aspart? I doubt it. You can buy prop medicine. Like I was looking at the, the World War II prop morphine syrettes on Etsy. They're not that expensive either. They were like $10. That's not bad. Yeah. I'm a little concerned why you were looking at that on Etsy. For my episode, for research. <laughs> I was, it's a podcast. You don't have to see anything. I, yeah, I got to see it so I can figure stuff out. Honestly, I was trying to figure out how they actually... Did you start growing mushrooms? I was trying to figure out how they actually use these morphine syrettes. Because they've got a needle which has like a metal cap on it that they're supposed to, and it looks like it's got like a little loop on it. So you can't actually see the needle. So I was wondering, like, they have to break that cap off. And then, like, what happens to the integrity of the needle itself? Serrated needle even more so. Yeah. Jagged. Really blunt, like not sharp enough to, it would, I imagine it would really hurt. But then again, I mean, it's morphine, so you're not going to feel it. on top of it. You know, you already got shrapnel in your leg. Or right, right. Whatever but like even the manual, like the, the medic training manual, didn't make it very clear how to actually open the morphine syrette. Hmm. So. It may be a lot easier than what we're thinking. It may not be that you have to break it off. It might just like. Pull it out. Yeah. Maybe. But they, like this was the, the, the 40s. I don't know if they had like. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have that. They didn't have that sound effect yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Anyway, so, uh, and then in another error, I saw there was a quick close-up of the actual prescription bag with the wrong insulin that he hands to the to the lady. It doesn't say insulin anywhere on the bag. In fact, it says Calmacil, 25 milligrams, which is not real. It's a totally fictional drug. It also had a different patient's name on the bag. So they obviously just grabbed the wrong prop bag for a close-up, which made me mad for some reason. I hate when they do, like, little stupid things like yeah. that. Like, get it right. It's not that hard. Most people aren't analyzing the one random show of Hannibal's so in-depth. It was like three frames, too, because they knew they messed up, and they were like, nobody will catch this. Well, they were wrong. They were not expecting Shane. They weren't. They Yeah, they didn't account for me. This next thing isn't really an error, but just overall really frustrating. So Prevulex is a pharmacy chain that exists in a grocery store. kind of looks like a Costco or a Walmart inside. It's really big. Uh, what's one thing you can tell me about the typical prescription volume at a Walmart or a Costco? Very low. Pretty low. Yeah. Not a lot of, lot of volume going on. Not a lot of prescription filling. It's low, at least compared to our respective pharmacy chains. Yeah. Uh, standalone pharmacies like Walgreens or CVS, or even an independent pharmacy would likely have higher volume. Here's the part that bothered me the most about this episode. Not only did they have a high-tech pill counting machine that was used for some extraneous close-ups of unmarked blue and white capsules being counted to establish the fact that this is indeed a pharmacy, they had four pharmacists and no technicians. 
four dudes in matching white coats, which at one time is an unimaginable amount of overlap. It's ridiculous. That like that's unheard of. Yeah. I've never, even in like a, the busiest days, like a Monday, we'll have a couple of hours of overlap of two pharmacists yeah. in like a really high volume. The worst day of the week, you may have two pharmacists. Yeah, if you're maybe. lucky. And like way more techs. Yeah, I'm gonna work at this pharmacy, yeah. but not with Eldon. He seems creepy. He's a floater, so yeah, you probably can avoid have him. To call the ethics line on him at some point. So the show writers obviously have no idea what goes on in a pharmacy, and that's fine. That's what we're here for. So here's a couple things that they got right about the episode. Behind the pharmacist's checkout counter is a huge no refund sign, which I loved. You can only see it in like one shot and it says like, dear customers, we cannot accept refunds on prescription items. I was like, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Another thing in particular about DKA is that when a patient dies of DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, the, the typical cause is actually cerebral edema. The osmolar gradient caused by the massive amounts of glucose circulating in the blood actually causes a shift in the water in the intracellular fluid in the brain to the extracellular fluid and the brain cells subsequently shrink. I wanted this to be an error in the show, something else for me to critique, but I think the writers actually got this one right because the cerebral edema complication associated with DKA occurs after treatment. If the blood glucose is adjusted too rapidly and the brain cells swell faster than they can handle, and they burst or die, and that's when cerebral edema sets in and becomes problematic. Did they show anything like that, like after the after he was caught and all that? Did they show like them getting treatment and stuff? No, they're dead. Oh, yeah. they're all dead. They're, um, they what were, about the tenth victim? The they, tenth victim in the car, she survived because okay, they caught. Never, yeah, they, never showed any of that. Right? For one scene, like they showed one of the victims who's buried, like wake up, but then they never followed up to tell you whether or not that person survived. I highly doubt that he would have survived just because they've been eaten alive by mushrooms, yeah. basically. So even though they're alive, not quote unquote, they're yeah. not necessarily. He was like partially decomposed. It was pretty gnarly. Like yeah. that scene in Have you seen Seven? Yeah. Do you remember with the the body in the room with all the like the car fresheners on the oh, ceiling? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then he like wakes up that corpse. Oh, it was like that. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, that was good in Seven. Oh, yeah. well, they would have done that in Hannibal, the TV series. It's a really good show. Like, I, I recommend it. Better or worse than Dexter? I haven't seen Dexter. Ooh. So, a lot more graphic than Dexter. I will say, ooh, I don't know if I can choose. That's a tough one. But if you have, like, a queasy stomach, Dexter would definitely be the way to go over Hannibal. Because it's, it's intense. Interesting. It's not that bad. No. No. I mean... It's a little, it's a little gnarly. But. We did Band of Brothers. You know, we put, put that up two weeks ago, and that was, that was gruesome. Band of Brothers is, like, a different kind of gruesome. For some reason, like, stuff, like, seeing stuff actually happen, like, the violence actually happen, is like, oh, that's kind of gnarly. But then, like, seeing it after the fact in, like, a clinical setting, like, digging up a corpse and, like, dissecting it. That's... Oh, I think that's less worse. Oh, you think that's less worse? Than yeah. Not as bad. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think really? autopsy stuff's kind of interesting. But like seeing somebody get their leg blown off in Band of Brothers. Have you seen Band of Brothers? I have not. It's, it's exceptional. It's the best miniseries. It really, it truly is. It really is. I'll have to watch it. It's really good. Whether or not you're into like World War II stuff, which everybody is. Yeah. yeah. At least some semblance of an interest. Yeah. <laughs> but oh man, Dick Winters, he's my Love hero. Him. So where was I? Okay. In the case of an induced coma like this, it's really unclear which would set in first, massive brain swelling or acute kidney failure, which is what they were all said to have died of. The mechanism of acute kidney failure progresses intrinsically without intervention and isn't triggered or worsened by improper treatment. One of the major causes is actually volume depletion, caused again by shifting of the osmotic gradient, 
Patients have polyuria, which is excessive urination, to try and balance excessive glucose in the blood and become severely dehydrated. Death in acute renal failure would be excruciating and would occur within a few days to a week without treatment. Let's talk about fungi. Honestly, a human corpse full of sugar would be a great fertilizer for mushrooms. Humans are chock full of complex nutrients and tons of carbon and nitrogen. We'd be a delicious snack for fungi. In fact, mushroom hunters tend to find human corpses at alarming rates because of the tendency for mushroom groves to spring up from a human corpse. I think that the motive is at least plausible. Other than that, this is just a television show. It's not meant to be an instruction booklet on how to kidnap patients. That would be really worrisome. I also don't think it was necessarily meant to instill mistrust in pharmacists. The whole series revolves around a serial killer psychiatrist. I think they just wanted to throw shade at another branch of the medical profession, since there isn't enough distrust of medical professionals now anyway. Well, they do call us the number one trusted pharma, you know, whatever. My P1 MP preceptor always said, like every single time, actually, she, she would say. We're the number one most pr trusted, trusted professional? According to, like, what? I don't know. BuzzFeed? It was in a, text it was in a textbook somewhere oh, once, textbook. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Definitely the most accessible. Who would you? Who would be, like, a more plausible serial killer, a psychiatrist or a pharmacist? Ooh, Probably psychiatrist, because you can get in somebody's head, yeah. and then there's no trace. Mm. 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 Have them do the dirty work. It's unclear if uh, Eldon ever ate the mushrooms. He was just you like that's what he was into. Obsessed that's, with mushrooms. Yeah, just really into the mushrooms. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the mushrooms that he was growing. Did they ever describe them being edible? They they never went into what the mushrooms were, but I will say the last name of the character is also the last name of one of the leading mycologists, Paul Edward Stamets. So, and he has a TED talk that's really interested if you want to check oh, that out. That's pretty cool. So, but yeah, mushrooms aren't all bad. I'm just curious if they would have went into his fridge. You know, it's not a place to look, I guess, but if you just go into his fridge and you just see piles of mushrooms, just like mm. just regular portobello mushrooms or, you know, shiitake. And yeah. Just, it's all he eats. <laughs> What's a mushroom-only diet? Ew. What would that Fung do? Fungivore? What would that do to you? I think you'd have a lot of bowel issues. Probably. At the very least. <laughs> no doubt. What would you grade this on in terms of realism? Medically, in a vacuum, it'd be six or a seven. In actualism, probably. That's pretty low. Not that much. Dang. That's Maybe like a five. D. Okay. I'd give it, yeah, failing grade. Jeez. If you include how he kidnaps them, probably I'd say maybe a four. If once they're kidnapped and like once they're comatose and in the ground, would the mushrooms go? Like, would they grow? 10 out of 10. They would. Yeah, definitely. But would this work in real life? Probably not. No, kidnapping patients. If we were to try to kidnap our patients, there's definitely better ways to do it oh, yeah. than swapping out their insulin. I mean, I thought of the Lunesta thing. Like if they Lunesta. Lunesta, just like that was off the top of my head. Right. Yeah, if you had come behind them with like a tranquilizer instead, like just like I use the <laughs> yeah. use the pharmacy to identify the type one diabetics, and then when they're leaving, like go out in the back alley, tranquilize them, and then take them, and then induce the coma, I would believe that a little bit more. All three of us are getting calls from HR. So yeah, I definitely have an FBI agent like yeah. on my tail right now. <laughs> I think though, ideally, his intention was so that he wouldn't have to put himself in any immediate danger. Because he was assuming that by the time he got there, they'd already be unconscious, and he could just load them in his trunk, cover them in dirt, and then take them out to the woods near my house. I think Buffalo Dill. <laughs> Buffalo Dill. Dill Pickle. Buffalo, Buffalo Dill. Chip. Dill. Dill. Whatever. <laughs> Buffalo Bill, I think, is a little bit better. Not even gonna lie. But he yeah. just, like, pushed them into his trunk, didn't he? I vaguely remember that. Well, the, uh, the only one I remember is him, you know, carrying the couch with the cast, and then 
don't know whether you get yeah. hit around the head probably or something. See, that's another thing I hate about movies when they show people getting like hit in the head and knocked unconscious. That's not real. Doesn't that happen. doesn't happen. Very specific spot to knock you out immediately. Even even then, like if you get hit in the head, you're going to have a concussion, but you're not going to immediately be unconscious, and it, it's going to cause probably lasting brain damage if it is hard enough to knock you unconscious to begin with. It's the top of the head that what gets me. Like you know, if you hit the top of the head, that's the hardest part of your skull. But you're not. That's nothing happening to you. If you maybe hit the temple or something, then maybe you could you know like a boxer get knocked out. That's going to like burst a blood vessel first. What are they hitting you with? Like a crowbar? I don't know what serial killers do. Let's find out. So back to one last thing about, about stamens. If I were to kidnap my patients, wouldn't it be more plausible to like draw out the insulin and replace it with like a dextrose solution? So that way it's like an immediate. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But then again, they'd also feel that too, probably. Well, if it's with a pump, I don't know. Maybe. That's true. During flu shot season, <laughs> draw up dextrose and then every type 1 patient that you have I, for the flu shot. I don't know Jesus. if half a milliliter would do it. It'd have to be pretty yeah, concentrated. That's true. Just give them direct sugar. <laughs> powdered sugar in the veins. That would hurt. Yeah, that would not be... <laughs> that would not be pleasant. They'd probably, yeah. like, have a stroke. I think you might get caught if you did that. Yeah. <laughs> All of my patients stroked out <laughs> in the pharmacy. My flu shot survival rate is 0%. Oh, God. I don't know why. Well, Kelly Brown, thank you so much for coming out and joining us with this. You actually are probably the reason this episode even happened, introducing oh. me to Hannibal. Of course. Which was probably a mistake, because now I'm going to be hunted by the FBI for this episode. Yeah, and you're just thinking about how to kidnap and kill your patients <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> definitely. All right. This has been Let's Farmanize. You won't be hearing from us for a while. Yeah. This is, this is our last episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music. 